Welcome to the Impact Gap Podcast. We are a graduate student-run, patient-centered podcast group based at the University of Toronto. Our mission is to provide a platform for patients and advocates to share their views and to understand important patient issues within our healthcare system. Today, we will be discussing dementia and caregiving. Dementia is a progressive decline in cognitive abilities affecting memory, mood, and behavior. Today, there still remains a stigma against dementia. Those who provide care for people living with dementia, such as spouses, family members, or friends, they are known as caregivers. They often face high levels of distress with their caregiving responsibilities, such as anger, depression, and feeling unable to continue. Today, we have our special guest, Ron Baleno, who will be sharing his experiences with dementia and caregiving. To get started, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi there, everyone, and thanks, Sally, for having me here. Uh, my name is Ron Baleno. I am here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I was a caregiver. Uh, that's probably the primary hat I'll be talking about today, uh, my role as a caregiver to my father that had dementia. First and foremost, I just want to congratulate the team here uh, that's put this podcast together. You have a mission here, which I read. It's the Impact Gap podcast. The two words that I love a lot there, okay, it's not the, and I'm okay with podcasts, but it's the two words right in the middle. So impact and gap. And that's uh, something that I like to talk a lot about, uh, making impact in healthcare. And for me, you know, the way to do that is to kind of know where we have those gaps. And uh, I look forward to us talking about that today a little further. So Besides uh, me being a caregiver to a father that had dementia and also caring for my mom right now, I used to run a community center. Uh, I was the executive director of a nonprofit youth center that focused on employment, education, and entrepreneurship. So that's something that I did for many years. I actually uh, do a lot of work around technology and aging. That's one of my strengths when it comes to the skill set that I have around caregiving, but technology, aging. I did some life coaching before, very young when I was doing that, uh, is something that I've done. And some groups that I'm affiliated with, uh, one group is a program that you're very familiar with, is TRP, the Translational Research Program at the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine. So I am a mentor in residence uh, over there focusing on patient engagement. I am also with another national organization called AgeWell, which is Canada's technology and aging network. Uh, and that consists of uh, academics, researchers, innovators, policymakers, healthcare providers, and more importantly, which I you know, uh, am connected to near and dear, are the older adults and caregivers. And I am the co-chair of the Older Adult and Caregiver Advisor Committee with AgeWell. And uh, a few other groups, um, one related to what we're going to be talking about is I am also just recently on the board of directors with 
the Ontario Spore Support Unit. And there's an acronym in that acronym, so OSSU. Uh, SPORE is the Strategy for Patient-Oriented Research. So I'm on that, uh, the Ontario uh, Board of Directors recently. Thank you so much, Ron. We really appreciate the breadth of experience that you're bringing to our conversation today. And we're really excited to discuss in a little more detail about the different spaces that you're involved with. Just to get us started, would you be willing to share a little more about your experience as a caregiver? Uh, yes, it's something that I am very comfortable sharing, but that term caregiver, uh, for some people, it's kind of new. You don't purposely study or go to school to say that I'm going to be a caregiver that's unpaid. Uh, and I first have to define caregiver because uh, I have my own definition around what that word means. And I believe in the healthcare community, especially the patients and the caregivers, people get sensitive around words, okay? And I get it. Uh, I do believe that's something we need to get over and move past because there's more challenges than just simply the label. But uh, the word caregiver, it's, uh, I always start off when I do presentations, I always have to say, hey, for me, I'm comfortable with the word caregiving. I gave care to my father that had Alzheimer's for over 10 years. Uh, my father passed away. Uh, he passed away at home in his sleep. Uh, and, and my mom was the primary caregiver that lived with him. Uh, I'm an only child. Therefore, I am the favorite of my parents. Uh, that's by default. Uh, you know, they had no choice. Uh, in the dementia community, okay, that we'll be talking about, especially here in Canada, and um, it's spreading a bit, uh, they like to use the term care partner. I get it, um, and I support it, but I still use the term caregiver. And internationally, outside of North America, in Europe, and in, in Australia, they would use the term carers, okay? Uh, and again, this is actually the other words, you know, from the healthcare side and the community might use the term informal caregiver. And that triggers many as well. You know, well, what's informal about what I do? For me, it doesn't bother me, but informal, unpaid caregiver, uh, that could be family, a friend, a neighbor. So for me, yeah, it was me caring for my father for uh, over 10 years with Alzheimer's and dementia. They live also in Toronto. I, I live right by the zoo, so Scarborough specifically. So whenever you are driving by, visiting the zoo and hearing the animals, I'm their neighbor. And uh, my parents are 20 minutes away. And I would sometimes stay with them back then, or I am far enough to be also considered a remote caregiver. Uh, so I kind of lived that life of going, being there and also being distant, which helped me uh, learn the challenges of both sides. Uh, dad had dementia. To me, I used the word challenges. We were dealing with challenges. I, I For the traditional challenges or all the stuff that you might read about around Alzheimer's and dementia, my hope is that whoever might be living with dementia doesn't have to go through all them. Some will. Uh, I got those, I'm going to use the word gifts, okay, to discover and to help solve for. Okay, So I'm as ugly as it was, I also looked at them as these challenges. For example, my dad would go missing. How would I solve that? Okay, so that's kind of the kind of caregiver I was uh, using technology, low tech, high tech, the neighbors, the community, the variety store, the coffee shop in my for my care team. So that's pretty much in a nutshell of what I was you know, doing with my mom there. I'm really sorry to hear about the passing of your father. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. 
Would you be able to share a little more about your experience um, accessing care and support as a caregiver in Toronto and share what you feel is the most important issue faced by caregivers today? Uh, so over here in Canada, uh, everyone, bottom line, everyone will always find something to complain about. Okay, I'm going to say that straight up, that that there's it, it's not perfect. Care is pretty much living life with challenges. That's it. I actually did not try to even separate to say and put a lot of uh, focus on the word dementia, okay? Uh, but in the healthcare system, we kind of label things. People like to do that, okay? You have dementia, you have this. So for me, it was just simply living life and trying to support my dad to continue living forward uh, in whatever he wanted to do for my mom, for myself as well. And part of that meant that we also had to understand the system, uh, the healthcare system in the Toronto area. For us, I would you know, say it did quite well for us, but I had to do a lot of work, okay? Navigating the system probably is the hardest thing that someone's gonna have to go through. But if you can navigate it, if you can find the support uh, the the individuals, uh, the team members. That's not just in the system. That you know goes a long way. But it will never be perfect. So that's the thing I want people to understand. Uh, we set these expectations that that it's supposed to you know solve like that, that we're going to have everything solved for us. But uh, that's not the truth, in my opinion. And that's just life in general. So for here in Toronto, I'm going to throw out some letters a fair bit. There's a lot of acronyms and and names that I'll clarify here. Uh, Toronto, Ontario, uh, we're provincial, you know, our health care system is with the province. And uh, back then, back in 2007, when we we're going on this journey, we were uh, connecting with the CCAC. Um, the uh, Okay, anyways, that's a healthcare system back then. It switched over to the LHIN, the LINS, Local Health Integration Network. And now we're moved over to the Ontario Health Teams. Bottom line is that uh, we got connected to the healthcare system. We got some supports like personal support workers coming in. Uh, that is one community I need to give a huge shout out to. Okay, here we call them personal support workers. Uh, they go by other names, uh, different provinces and elsewhere, but I am constantly advocating for them, especially now. I know we might talk about COVID, the time timing of this video or sorry, this uh, podcast is uh, during COVID, uh, that they needed a lot more respect before, now, and even in the future. So we had great personal support workers that that supported us, that would come in daily, help out uh, with my dad. But also, we I went outside there. We used the Alzheimer's societies, okay? Alzheimer's or dementia societies. And they were of great support for my mother, okay? Uh, very early on to help educate her. On my end, I have uh, become very close to the, that community because I speak across Canada at many Alzheimer's Society and Dementia Society events. I'm a keynote presenter talking about not just my stories, but uh, the lessons I've learned and some strategies for people to choose whether they want to try them out or not. Um, I, I want to just share here, you know, that that the whole journey for patients as well as caregivers, when we come back and tell our story back to others, that's pretty much what it is. It's a story. We're telling a story of our lives. And that's something for 
the healthcare community to understand, innovators, researchers, you know, those trying to understand patients and caregivers to really understand how they start off. We start off uh, communicating in a narrative, in a story. This is what happened. This is what the pain points are. This is what I miss. Okay. And then along the way, if uh, for some, not everybody, but there's some uh, that go through that and start realizing, hey, this healthcare system, yes, as great as it, as it is for me, it's working out. There's some stuff that I say, okay, that sucks. Okay. You know, and I kind of use the words like, okay, that pisses me off that this is inconsistent or this took me so long to figure it out that I could have figured out this sooner if someone told me or guided me or whatever that golden nugget was. And when someone goes through that, they start getting to a stage where if they start speaking up about it, okay, that, hey, you know, my dad, being a Filipino family, so we're Filipino, uh, Southeast Asian there, um, it would help that we might have someone that can communicate and understand his culture a little better, okay, instead of having PSWs that don't understand our culture. It's a resource issue. It's a game of numbers. I get that. Here in Toronto, we have a fair bit more choices, let's say, just because of our population. We, And by eventually getting some Filipino personal support workers that do come, uh, that just made the journey much easier. But that comment from going from a story of saying, okay, this is why we're having challenges with my dad. He doesn't get what's, the, what's going on or they're having communication challenges. That now becomes myself being an advocate. I'm being the voice or trying to advocate for something better. Uh, we need more advocates, okay, to come in. And when you ask the question, coming back to my experience accessing care, besides accessing the care for my family, again, not consistent for everybody, but uh, it allowed me to not just access that care, but to now be part of that care system, okay? So that means, for example, with your program that I know some of the students are with here, Translational Research Program, I get to spend time chatting with students in your program, with many universities and colleges, uh, that would be with occupational therapists, nurses, social workers, uh, biomechanical uh, engineer or bioengineering students, uh, aging students. And that is coming from the voice of a caregiver, okay? And that voice of caregivers and patients, that I would say has been growing in Canada. Um, and that is still growing. And that's something I would say we should be proud of, but we're not done. But it's just something that that's what the, the care system has allowed me to do there. Thank you for sharing your journey with us, Ron. You mentioned the difficulties in navigating the changes in the healthcare system. You also mentioned your transition from storytelling to advocacy and your learnings from all of your lived experiences. These insights and reflections are really helpful for us in understanding where you're coming from. I also want to thank you for sharing your experience with graduate students like us. We really, really appreciate having your perspective. Now, when you reflect on the experiences and learnings as a caregiver, is there a message that you'd like to share to other caregivers? Uh, yes. So around caregiving, th there's many important messages I'd like to share, but for, if I'm speaking directly to the caregivers and those that are supporting the caregivers, okay? So we have to look at this way that there's the caregiver. Okay? I actually stressed more over my mom, the caregiver, than my dad, okay? So that's something I wanted people to understand, that the stress wasn't my dad, you know, uh, with him with dementia. He just went about his life, and we I just needed to make sure we protected him to be safe as priority, okay? Uh, the stress was on the caregiver, my mom, and myself as well. 
And technically, I am going to not answer your question properly because I'm not going to give one answer. I'm going to cheat. In, in uh, caregiving, it depends where you're at in that moment. So my answer is not, you can't just sweep it through all caregivers. But one key I always say is do not try and be Superman or Wonder Woman. Uh, it's some superheroes that people think they could do it all by themselves. But when it comes to caregiving, you actually increase success by spreading the stress, okay? And the one way of spreading the stress is that you don't do it by yourself and you get a team, okay? Or you, that team could keep fluctuating. Uh, but I say Superman and Wonder Woman even have superheroes that are team members. And that's called the Justice League. And that team many times is not necessarily who you might think it might be, you know, family. Okay, that team, as I said, I had the team that would be the neighbors, that would be the coffee shop. Okay, that would be part of my team. Of course, healthcare, I threw out occupational therapists, personal support workers. I'm going to even throw out right now, I'm going to put a little plug for the technology space. I believe when it comes to healthcare right now, uh, even before, but we we're going towards that direction, and more importantly now, is that part of your healthcare team, you're going to need someone that has some tech savviness. Okay, that understands technology in some way. Okay, there is a digital divide that's growing, the haves and the have-nots when it comes to technology, and that will affect your healthcare. Okay, so find who that team member may be. That could be sometimes I make a joke, the younger crowd. Okay, that could be a niece and nephew, a millennial, uh, could be even a five, six, seven, eight-year-old that will know. So in the end, create a team, and that will increase your success of care. Thank you for sharing that important message, Ron. I'd now like to pivot. Would you be able to tell us about your current work as a patient advocate? Uh, yeah, that's a, a long list for me. Uh, I am not your typical caregiver slash patient advocate, but I will highlight a few that's quite important uh, that I would say. The first one that I really got involved with, as I said, was a group called Age Well. Okay. Uh, again, Canada's Technology and Aging Network, and I am the co-chair of the Older Adult and Caregiver Advisory Committee. We advise uh, with researchers, academics, as I said earlier, policymakers, healthcare providers, the innovators. As I said, in the end, all the work, and I tell them, all the work you're all doing, if you're not really hearing the voice from us as caregivers or the older adult in that community, then there's, there's really no point of why you're doing your work, okay? If you don't address our issues, um, then I don't know why you guys are doing the work you're doing. So uh, that's one group. A few groups that are out there, uh, as I said, Ontario Spore Support Unit. There's a lot of work around patient strategy and patient-oriented research. That's uh, just a fancy way, you know, that's in the research community, uh, specifically the Canadian Institute for Health Research uh, CIHR, uh, they put a lot of emphasis on having patients, not just as participants. Let's clarify this, okay? Patients, when I say the word patients, I'm talking about patients and caregivers together at the table. So patients, not to get involved in research as participants, as doing an interview with a patient or having a patient or caregiver be part of a panel. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about having them part of the research team as early as possible, okay? Could be designing their research. Uh, one, uh, one other group, uh, the Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation. 
CABI, so Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation, which is uh, over at Baycrest, uh, focuses on aging and innovation as well uh, across Canada. So they are, do a lot of work with startups uh, and those scaling up. So again, I'm on the seniors advisory panel, proud that I'm the only non-senior on the seniors panel. Somehow they snuck me in and uh, I'm not, I'm still a couple decades away from the seniors, but uh, I'm proud in that great group. And I get, I get the benefit of hearing the wisdom of these seniors uh, that are patients slash caregivers slash older adults. So th- that's a few groups, um, shared decision-making, uh, another group I'm with at University of Laval, uh, focusing on that when, even in your healthcare, okay? Uh, it's not necessarily just, pay, it's partly patient engagement, but that you sh- it shouldn't be the healthcare fully deciding your choices, okay? That you should be part of that shared decision-making process and being informed. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Uh, you mentioned a wide range of experiences, including your involvement with AgeWell, Spore, CABI, and you mentioned shared decision-making at Laval. Uh, would you be able to tell us what you believe to be the most important issue that you're dealing with right now as a patient advocate? In the game okay, of advocacy or patient engagement in that whole space, uh, when it comes to where we're at right now with COVID, it comes down to the word connection, okay? The ability to connect at any and every level out there, okay? Uh, so connection is something I think about a lot. For me, I use a phrase, connecting the dots, okay? Uh, I always say, okay, what are we trying to connect, you know, in at in every moment that I, I'm at, you know? Uh, uh, are we trying to connect the patient to the healthcare system? Are we trying to connect uh, maybe someone just having some technology, so that they could connect further, you know, uh, with with the community. So there's a struggle of simply connecting um, right now, as most people are doing it, and as we are doing it, we're using technology, right, Sally, to connect and communicate. Uh, but so many people don't have access to either the tools, the education, the resources, uh, you, you name it. If you can't simply connect then that's where I believe we're struggling. Um, right now, I'm just going to pick technology as one of the places we're connecting. There's a, that digital divide. Uh, I like to sometimes bring up the digital determinants of health Okay, when it comes to patient engagement. Uh, the ones that have their voices that make it online, great. But those that don't have access to, to getting online or communicating their voice, and there's many, well, where are their voices? Okay, so we, you know, uh, there's a lot of disparity. There's a lot of, areas where, you know, we, we can't connect with their voices, okay? So my answer to you is uh, the connection piece. Let's get better at connecting. And uh, I don't have one answer here, but just keep that in mind, everyone. Let's get creative. Let's find ways to to get connecting. Just like this, here's a podcast. That's one way. I love just ha- telling, su- suggesting to people, it doesn't have to be formal. It could be over a meal, okay? Uh, I believe you get more data, even it's casual, you know, over a meal, some of the, you know, people share a little bit more. So that's, that's what I'd like to suggest to people around patient engagement. With regards to um, the patient advocacy space, what would you say is one message that you'd like to share to our listeners? From the side of a patient, okay, I, as I said earlier, telling your story is where we start. Communicating, okay, what pisses you off and what do you miss what do you want? What do you hope for? And that does just by saying that doesn't mean that's going to solve what's going to happen. Okay, 
that's what I want people to understand, that life is not about getting everything you want, but can we get better at it? Can we reduce those failures, those moments? Okay, and I believe as you tell your story, when you're comfortable and you have uh, someone or a community or a group that you trust, okay, that you go ahead and start sharing that. Because in a way, as much as you think that you're just sharing it, it's, it's you know, that someone's not going to judge you, okay? And we got to be careful. That's the other side, those that judge. I, I, I'll, I'll speak to them in a second here. But to those that are sharing, um, that it actually is very healthy for you in one way. So that could be considered at some form of therapy, but you're letting it out. You're not letting it anchor you. And you're, but that allow you to keep moving forward a little better. Doesn't mean it's going to be great, but at least it helps you move forward a little bit better. Okay. And there comes a point where some patients and caregivers then take it to the next level. They have they try to, to find who can actually hear me and listen, and then now maybe do something about it. Okay. That's where we start shifting to the advocacy piece, the you know engagement and advocacy. Uh, sometimes it's just maybe doing a survey, okay, participating in research, which I encourage many, you know, if you can participate in some research, okay, because that's where we make change. Sometimes that research, you know, collects the data, which then can affect policy changes, which say then comes back to, to the within the healthcare system. May not affect you directly now, but it is something that by you speaking up will also help those coming down the road, okay, in the future. That's that one crowd. Then there's the other side that has to do the listening. For the patients to be engaged, well, who are they engaging with? Well, that could be from, from researchers, healthcare uh, providers, politicians, okay? I'm not going to get political here, but I need them on my side. We need to be working together. You know, even if I may, may or may not have voted for them, please just keep moving forward some of the work that we want. Uh, that could be innovators, okay? that are developing products and solutions. That whole crowd, you need to, in my opinion, get better at listening, uh, seeing, uh, asking more impactful questions. For me, I believe we need to spend more time not on the demographics of the person, okay, their age, their sex, you know, their education, their career, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, that's great, but that's not really where I see the the the, bit, the best bang for the buck is for the higher return, I believe, is people understand the psychographics, okay? And psychographics usually comes from the marketing world, but I keep planting it in the healthcare community, uh, where psychographics, you're going to be talking about someone's values, their opinions, their beliefs. Those are the kind of, might feel like the softer stuff, but I believe that's where the value is, okay? You know, to understand that my father was a spiritual man, that that was more important to him than having a bath, okay? You know, someone coming in and forcing him to, well, no, it's on my checklist. You have to have a bath, right? Uh, that he loved music, that that's important to him, okay? Also understanding what kind of music, you know, is it Justin Bieber kind of music or Drake? No, that's not my dad's kind of stuff. It's Frank Sinatra, let's say. So this is where we're getting to the person, the person-centered care. So that ability to, to kind of probe around the psychographics, to understand their feelings, their emotions. Uh, again, that's the patient and the caregiver. That's where I would... Uh, say that we could get so much better around patient engagement. I'd like to pivot now and ask you about COVID. So at this current time, we're reaching about the one year mark of the pandemic. Would you be able to share your experience and the impact that COVID-19 has had on some of the spaces that you're involved in? Right now, a lot of the stuff I'm going to say, and those that are listening in that have worked with older adults and 
patients and caregivers and dementia, let's just say in that space. I'm going to be preaching to the choir here. Okay. I'm going to be saying something they already knew pre COVID, you know, that we need to focus a lot more of our resources and support for this community. Okay. Uh, that social isolation, and that was one I wanted to talk about today, that that's the one that is one of the big ones that I have a, I've, I've been working on, and many, many have been working on even way before me prior to the pandemic. But the ugliness of the pandemic has put a spotlight on social isolation. Okay. Meaning that for those that don't know that term, it's the individuals, it could even be the pairs. It could be a husband and wife that's socially isolated. There's been you know, couples that I know that have not, it's not even before the pandemic, but have not left their homes for like three or four years. And they just would have, you know, a family member drop off food and, but no, have no interaction. The first time they had interaction, this family I'm thinking of is when the police had to come by and realize that no one talks to them for like two, three months. Okay. But that's pre-pandemic stuff. During the pandemic, it's it's put a spotlight, okay? And now the beauty sort of, if you want to look at it, is that we're now all talking about it and resources are being pushed towards that. Uh, sometimes you need that ugliness to move some work forward, but there is going to be loss and pain at, during that. So, But that is something I want to say that I do have a fair bit of hope for, that social isolation, we're addressing that. The other word that kind of goes with it, but still is a little different, is social inclusion. Okay. It's not just that they're isolated, but it's also our job to include. How do we include everybody? It's not just older adults. That's my space. But uh, anyone that doesn't have technology, anyone that might be in a rural community okay, to, to better health care and support. Thank you for highlighting. Uh, you mentioned the patient care fatigue, and now you touched upon social isolation and the social inclusion. Uh, do you have any stories to share uh, about social inclusion and social isolation specifically? Uh, so even pre-COVID, I again, I'm one of those geeks that likes technology, but I tell people you don't need to bring technology in your life. So I'm not one that that's going to force people and say, no, no, this is your, what you have to do. Okay. I'm more of, I'm going to plant the seed. Okay. I like to just say, here's some seeds. It's up to you if you want to take it, grow it and use it. And sometimes I say, you know, here's even the, I'm going to give you this to even try it out. If you don't need it, you don't, but I just want to introduce it. And one of the ones I was doing many years ago was uh, something I call teledining. Okay. Now, when I explain it, people are going to say, okay, that's not, you Ron, that's but yes, that's it became common now, okay. But back then, it was simply I was having meals with people online, for example, someone with dementia, a dear friend of mine who lives all the way near Niagara Falls in Welland, Ontario. Okay, she was a little socially isolated, you know, just because of some of her physical challenges, she lives by herself. I had a friend that's an occupational therapist, okay. Uh, oh, I don't mind. I, they're comfortable sharing that I share their names because I know they're out, out there in the public and they talk about this. So B. Cranhoff in Welland uh, used to be a nurse. And so she uh, stays at her home a fair bit. Watching Toronto Maple Leafs, by the way. So anyone want, listening to this, you know, I am a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Uh, so B and I would like to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But we also brought a dear friend, Shannon Coffey, who is an occupational therapist. Uh, she now works for the Alzheimer's Society in Hamilton. But back then, we would get together online and just grab some food and talk. Uh, I would bring in some intergenerational connections. Uh, technically, Shannon could be considered a younger intergeneration, but I would bring in a teenager buddy of mine, Zachary. And uh, he was 13, you know, 14. And then he would be talking to me about some music. Okay. So it's not all about dementia, but that 
you know, we all got something out of it. And it's those social moments I call, especially if it's around food, which I'm a foodie person, I call it uh, hashtag breaking bread. And uh, uh, so that is kind of the hashtag I like, I like to use. And that could be breaking bread, having a meal with someone online, virtually, or hopefully in person, you know, sooner than later. Uh, and that's uh, one of my ways that I would personally would do that there. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You mentioned B. Shannon Zachary, and also for highlighting the impact of those social moments. Um, there is one last question. Um, so when we reflect on today, what would you say is one message that you'd like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Everyone cares, that's great, but the ability to care, okay, and provide some care, we all could get better at that. And to do that, I talked about earlier about how do we connect better. And connecting can happen in so many ways. It doesn't have to be out in public. It doesn't have to be um, something obvious. Everyone, uh, wherever you're coming from, young, old, with a lot of resources or very restricted or limited resources, you can up your game just a little better and be more impactful. Review how you do things in life, okay? See how you could get better by just shifting one or two things or coming up with a new idea or taking a new idea from someone else so that you can impact someone's life, okay? And in return, I'm also going to say it's not just about caring for other people, our fellow hum humans, uh, our, our neighbors, uh, you know, that, that's the one thing I'm suggesting because I think we need a stronger team. You know, even the ones we don't get along with, we need to play better together. Uh, that's my key message. That's one I want to kind of say, but then on the reverse that you all have to take care of yourselves better as well. You know, I still have my own challenges that, you know, some back issues from even my caregiving days that pop up here and there that, that, but do I take care of myself? I do my best. Uh, and that's something I'll say for caregivers, especially that are listening in, find a way to care for yourself. Okay. You're of no use caring for someone else if you can't take care of yourself along the way and even everyone else. Okay. A lot of Superman and Wonder Woman people out there. Okay. That's great in those moments, but find time to rest up and let the team, you know, help out. So those are some of my key messages. Thank you so much to our special guest for being a part of our conversation today. Today, we heard from Ron Baleno, who shared his experiences in the areas of dementia care, technology, and patient advocacy. You can find more information about us at our website at impactgap.wordpress.com or follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at impact underscore gap. If you have a story that you'd like to share and are interested in joining us as a guest, you can contact us at impactgap at gmail.com.